0: Hello and welcome to the prayer clinic podcast. I'm Leanne McCoy, your host. And this summer we've been participating in a summer series that I've called the truth about women. This series of podcasts, in this series of podcasts, I've gotten to introduce you to so many amazing women that I have had the privilege of knowing and interacting with and, Goodness! How much fun has it been? I, so many different personalities, so many different strengths that these women have brought to the podcast this summer, and basically we have just um, been talking about what the Bible teaches about the value of women, um, what the role of women ought uh, is according to you know God's um, original plans, uh, how we're made in the image of God, just all of the things that we can learn when we go to the Bible in order to um, dig out the treasures of truth and then how those truths apply to our culture and our society today. And as we're coming around to really begin to wrap up this series of um, episodes on our podcast series, today it is my distinct pleasure to have my friend Christy McClelland on the podcast with us. You are in for an incredible treat as Christy unpacks um, some of the confusing passages of scripture in the New Testament. And we're going to talk about um, the role of women in the early church and the impact that some of this teaching in the New Testament has has on um, the roles of women in church today and really uh, our place in the great family of God. I am so excited to be bringing you today uh, my good friend Christy McClelland. welcome my praying people i'm so excited to introduce you to my friend christy mcclelland christy comes to us today uh, christy i've told everybody who they are based on where they live in relationship to me, because, you know, I've somehow made it that I'm the center of, you know, the geographical universe of my podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, that makes me glad I'm as close to you as I am. So
0: (laughs) you are, in fact, you're probably the closest of all the people that I've interviewed. So that's what I was going to tell him. So Christy and I both live in the same county in the same city. Is it your address, Franklin? Okay. Franklin, Tennessee, so, yes. So we're neighbors. I don't even know why we're Zooming. We're so close together. We could have gotten together in person. But anyway, here we are on Zoom. And um, Christy has uh, been a professor at Williamson College for many years. And um, she's the author of the very popular Jesus and Women Bible Study. She also has just released, I think in the last year or so, the gospel on the ground study is that right Christine? that's right it came out
1: in may of this year okay so it's well this year
0: new. that's very <laughs> new and um, she has hosted the pearls podcast that you can find on access more um she calls herself not a bible teacher so much as a biblical culturist and you're going to get to find out more about what that is as we talk christy has been taking people to israel um actually italy greece and turkey ever since 2008 and as she and i were chatting when we got ready christy let me know that she's headed out to your Israel this fall and we'll be there probably around six weeks or so this fall. I think that's what you said. Very good. Well, Christy, welcome and welcome to our prayer clinic podcast. Well, it is so good to
1: see you Leanne and for all your praying people out there. Thank you for joining us today. We just get to have a great conversation. I'm excited.
0: Oh, I'm so excited about it. So um, Christy and I met, really, how did we meet? I think a couple of our women at church had met you at Williamson College or at a Bible study. You might've been teaching at another church. And they. Um, I remember the day though, because the these women specifically were like, you're going to love Christy and Christy's going to love you. Like y'all have got to meet each other. And so we met, we actually met in the prayer room at our church, if I remember correctly. And we do love
1: each other. We do. it was a
0: true thing. (laughs) It was, it was. So it was great. And I have so enjoyed Christy. I think what does um, make your voice so unique in the, in the world, even of Christian books and, and studies is you being a biblical culturalist. So tell us what that is really.
1: Yeah. So I love to tell people that in 2007, the Lord opened up the door for me to go study the Bible in Egypt and Israel. Mm -hmm. And I tell people all the time, I went to Israel and learned that the living God is better than I ever knew. And Mm -hmm. so ever since 2007, my specialty in biblical teaching, and it's what I mean by a biblical culturalist, is I teach the Bible through its historical. Cultural, linguistic, and geographic context. I function like a time machine. I'm going to take you back into the biblical world to gain a little bit of a better understanding of what the biblical authors meant by what they were writing and what the biblical characters were doing, and all of these beautiful gospel stories that we read throughout the story of the Bible.
0: Yeah. And you call your ministry New Lens ministry, right? New lens. Yep. New lens, biblical studies. Yes. I love that. And it's because we're looking at the Bible with a new lens. That's and right. I um, I echo what your experience was in Israel. I was able to go the year, actually, my son was born, 1995. Tom and I were gifted a trip. And when I got to Israel, and I, I would imagine many of our listeners, if they've had the opportunity to go have the safe testimony, you get there and it almost feels like if you've grown up in the church or been a Christian for a long time and you're a student of the bible you get there you feel like you're almost in your second home Mm because you you know what's north you know what's south you know I grew up in the church when we actually studied the maps yes and so I knew where the sea of Galilee was and where Jerusalem and and so when you get there you're just um you get but and it's so fascinating that you can get so immersed in the ancient biblical geography even in the modern times I mean to me that's uh it's, it is a, it's a wonderful pilgrimage. Yeah. I, I recommend it all the to. time.
1: You can never unsee what you're going to see. So good. You can't yes. unlearn what you're going to learn being, there, being in that incarnational space where Jesus took on flesh and came down to the ground.
0: Yeah. I think the Lord has supercharged that, that geographic area for us to have a great experience yes. with him while we're there. So Anyway, I would encourage anybody, if you want to go to Israel, I know many, many people have gone with Christy to Israel, and it would be well worth your investment and your time. And Christy, right here at the front end, tell our listeners how they can learn more about your ministry mm-hmm. and these trips to um, Israel. Of course, you do an actual, uh, uh, what do you call your trip? To Italy and Greece and Turkey—is that like a Paul's journeys, or sure. what call that? Yeah, okay. yeah. When the gospel left Israel and moved into Asia
1: Minor, so think mm-hmm. the seven churches of Revelation—places like Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Athens, Rome—all um, of those places. So yes,
0: yeah. you yeah. do that trip too. Yes. Yeah, so tell us where we can where we can find out more about your trip.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. People can just go to newlandsbiblicalstudies.com. You can subscribe for free. It just adds you to our email list and you'll receive mm-hmm. devotions and updates and teachings and certainly trip information and things like that. So
0: Very good. And I especially love the video devotions that we get on that email list. So you're always like at Church of the City sharing a message. Yes. I'm filming some
1: next week. Yeah.
0: That's good. There you go. So yeah, it's been great. All right. Well, let, um, Let's talk about then, based on your study and and looking through the biblical lens, tell us about just what life would have been like for a woman living in the first century.
1: Man, that's such a great question. Um, and, And what's behind that question, I think, Leanne, that's so important is I'm always telling my students at the college, the Bible cannot mean something to us that it never meant to them. So we're really trying to learn to read and to hear the scriptures the way the original audience and embodied witnesses to it would have heard it and understood Mm it. And so to drop down into that question about what is life like for a woman in the first century world, it depends on what woman and where, because being a Jewish woman in the first century is very different from being a Greek or a Roman woman. Mm -hmm. in the first century if you're growing up in nazareth that is very different from growing up in rome or in ephesus or in corinth so if you are a jewish woman think jesus's mother mary you are growing up primarily with a life centered around torah you Mm -hmm. are a creature of synagogue you light candles Mm -hmm. on friday nights to welcome shabbat into your home like a bride Mm -hmm. The rabbinics say you love the living God, your monotheistic and your theological framework, Mm -hmm. and you are um, influenced and informed about the scriptures from rabbis, from Pharisees, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. occasionally from a Sadducee. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of life as a Jewish woman. You are a subject of the Roman Empire. So you may be free, but you're not fully autonomous. You are under mm-hmm. Roman rule and reign. Think Pontius Pilate. Um, mm-hmm. Think Herod the Great um, when we read about it in the Gospels. And mm-hmm. you're probably of the plebeian class. Unless you are uber wealthy, you are what we would call a blue collar woman in okay. the first century world. So very mm-hmm. agrarian. Um, very pastoralist. So shepherding Mm -hmm. sheep and goats, growing Mm -hmm. grain, figs, olives, that's life for the typical Jewish woman in the first century world. And the reason I want to differentiate is for all the questions that we're getting ready to unpack together, let's talk Uh just briefly about what life is like for you if you are a Greek or a Roman woman in the first century world. So for example, If you are Greek-Roman or Greco-Roman, some fusion Mm -hmm. of the two, and say you live in Ephesus, you are growing up in a world where you have never heard of Abraham and Moses. You have never heard of Torah. You might know what a synagogue is, but you don't go to one because your patron deity of your city in Ephesus is a female goddess called Artemis. Okay. And if you are a female in Corinth, again, you don't know Moses, you don't know Abraham, you don't know Torah, you don't know the one living God, you're polytheistic in your framework, and you worship a patron deity of Corinth known as Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. So you're used to temples to Artemis, temples Mm -hmm. to Aphrodite, and Mm -hmm. the ways that that would have influenced and impacted women who were Greek or Roman or Greco Roman. And Leanne, I really Mm -hmm. begin with that because what I'm Mm -hmm. trying to do is to lay a foundation of understanding historically and culturally for some of the passages that we're going to unpack today, because it's Mm -hmm. those women that Paul Mm -hmm. is writing to. And so many of his epistles, he's not so much addressing Jewish women. He's Uh addressing these Greco Roman women, Mm -hmm. Gentile who have accepted the message of Jesus Christ by faith, Mm -hmm. and who are learning what it is to become a follower of Jesus for the very Mm -hmm. first time in a world of Aphrodite,
0: in Mm -hmm. a world
1: of Artemis, in a world of
0: with the imperial cults and all of that. Okay. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking that we, from our Judeo-Christian predominantly background, can hardly even imagine what it would be like to be worshiping a goddess Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, God. So, I mean, that would, what kind of impact did that have on the Greco-Roman world? Because, like, I'm thinking that really shifts and changes what the what the men saw women like and what opportunities women had? Do you have some insight?
1: Okay, absolutely. So let me back up just a little bit. Let's walk our way into that answer. Sorry, you're talking to a Bible nerd and an educator. No, I love it. You're asking the teacher (laughs) to teach. So I'm gonna try to do my best for you. Okay. Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. The gods of antiquity, think Assyrian, Egyptian, Babylonian, Persian, before the Greeks. The gods of antiquity were animalistic. They are animals. They are kind of when you look at artwork that's portraying them, Alexander, the great and the Greeks come on the stage. And all of a sudden, when you look at a Greek statue of a God or a goddess, it looks like what? It looks like you and me.
0: Mm -hmm, It was the
1: Greeks and Alexander. All of a sudden, man is becoming a God. Mm-hmm. So you've got Zeus, you've got Apollo, you've got Dionysius, you've got Artemis, you've got Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. And I love to tell my students, if you want to know the heart of God and how he's reaching for everybody, essentially, right when man decided to become a God, God mm-hmm. decided to become a man.
0: Wow, that is beautiful. to take
1: on flesh right. and to show us what deity and humanity truly looks like yeah and mm-hmm. what it's going to look like to leverage that divine power for the sake of others rather than using it for selfish gain wow. so if you're a Greco-Roman woman in Ephesus mm-hmm. or a Corinth and I just raised those two cities you know, Rome is the imperial city, the epicenter of the world, all roads lead to Rome, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the world Mm -hmm. of the Caesars. But Mm -hmm. you very much think of feminine deity. And if you're in Mm -hmm. Ephesus, large Greco Roman cities would have a patron deity, and they believed in their theology that that deity protects their city, provides Mm -hmm. the sun and the rain so that their crops Mm -hmm. grow, opens up their wombs for fertility. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you want food on your table, you're worshiping the gods because they are Mm -hmm. gods of provision and scarcity. The question throughout all of humanity is what God will provide the sun and the rain so that me and my people can exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're definitely dealing with Greco-Roman women who feel very free who feel mm-hmm. very emboldened, you know, Roman women mm-hmm. can own their own property, they own their own businesses, they work, they, they are modern, <laughs> in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. you know, they're living mm-hmm. in cities, not so much that mm-hmm. agrarian, um, pastoralist life of a plebeian Jew that we were talking right. about, the life of a Jewish woman, so there's all kind of money going into hairstyles, these elaborate hairstyles? What's the Mm -hmm. new fashion of Ephesus? What's the new fashion of Corinth? And so again, some of the problem passages, I would even honestly humbly say, I think most of the problem passages that we talk about with Paul, he's addressing those women. Right. Okay. And trying to help them adjust to this new faith, this new way that they have embraced by faith in Jesus.
0: You know, that's a great, I, I love that. I love that that background just uh, prepares us for everything. Absolutely. And what comes to my mind, as you say it, because we have the New Testament right there next to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. we have spent an, a lot of effort and time in our study to combine the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New. Yes. And what you're awakening me even to think about as we move into this is how the church was. Um, new even to to the world apart from the whole Jewish tradition, even though it combines with much of it, it's a whole new a whole new thing that goes obviously as it all the pieces are falling in place because the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews, but Jews and Gentiles in that, in that way. Well good. Well now that you've set it up so well, the rest of it we're gonna be like, well of course it's like that. Well let's take some of those let's take some of those um passages and sure. and you know Christy what what motivates me a little bit in this whole series is that so many um people and it may not be so many it just has been a uh, very much Up close and personal in my own life, have um grown up in the church. Well, and it is a thing of the deconstructing of faith. Mm -hmm. And so much of that for many women that are deconstructing their faith has to do with some of these biblical passages Mm -hmm. and with some that we've talked about previously in this podcast um related to the Old Testament. But let's so let's talk about some of those. And I think that um, what's happened with some of those that are, and many of them are people who are genuine. I think they all are women who are genuinely searching for truth. And Mm -hmm. so I love that you're going to shed some light that perhaps they could consider in that pursuit Mm -hmm. of truth Mm -hmm. as we take it. So I've got my Bible open to the first Corinthians chapter 11 passage, and I want to read just a, a part of it to kind of set us up. Is that okay? Can we jump into first? Sure, absolutely. Yep, I'm here with you. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, here's um, what it says. I'm leaving. I'm reading now the new living translation and Paul's writing of course, And he says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts, that you're following the teaching I passed on to you. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair, but since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. And then he goes on, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in God's image, reflects God's glory, and a woman reflects man's glory, For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man, and the man was not made for the woman, but the woman was made for the man for this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she's under authority." And he, he kind—I'm of, going to just continue because this whole section kind of goes together. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. I think he's—he's he's bringing it kind of back together here. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. <laughs> and then I love this. And everything comes from God. Yeah. And then he says, "Judge for yourselves: Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair?" and isn't long hair a woman's pride joy for it has been given to her as a covering but if Mm -hmm. anyone wants to argue about this i simply say that we have no other custom than this and neither do god's other churches so there you go Mm -hmm. that's the passage it's a a lot of talking about hair in that Mm -hmm. and i'm sitting here with my little short hair thinking oh (laughs) 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 my covering isn't quite covered as far as maybe some of these women's were (laughs) incredible
1: Well, as we dive in, Leanne, and, and again, I'll say this is a foundational statement that's going to guide us in 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 and Titus chapter 2, and anything yeah. else, any other great mischief that you want to get in today. Um, <laughs> okay. On the podcast. Yeah. But um, let me back up and say this um, How we define holiness is really important. And I don't want to take too much time here, but I really want to encourage the people joining us today to really dial in. Mm -hmm. We tend to be raised here in the West with an idea that the definition of holiness is the absence of something. Mm -hmm. It's, we we don't cuss, we don't get drunk, we're not sexually immoral, we don't disrespect our parents, we don't Mm -hmm. take drugs, we tend to view holiness as the absence of sin. But for the Jews, Jesus and Paul, they very much view holiness as the presence of something. Yeah, okay. It's the presence of the way of God in our lives. We are to be agents of justice and righteousness, generosity, truth, goodness. Mm-hmm service, we are giving our lives away because we believe the living God is giving them back to us in manifold fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I raise that Leanne, because I think Mm -hmm. that something that's gotten us into trouble, and I'm saying us, and I'm talking the Western church in general, uh, whether Mm -hmm. you are Baptist, Anglican, Mm -hmm. Lutheran, non-denominational, Pentecostal, wherever you are on the spectrum as you're joining us today, I think a vision of holiness as the absence of something is very anemic and restricting in its very nature because it defines what being a good Christian is, as what we're not doing or what we're not allowed to do. Wow having a vision of holiness, that's the presence of something, the kingdom of God inside of us, we are embodied witnesses of a kingdom in the world of empire around us. Then we are not motivated by questions of what we can't do or what we shouldn't do. We are motivated by how can we bring heaven to earth? How can we agree with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are energized and quickened by a completely different framework of questions. And the reason I'm raising this is we make our way into 1 Corinthians 11, As I would humbly say, and you can weigh in on this, Leanne, Mm -hmm. when we come to the issue of women in the church, when we begin by looking for things that women cannot do or the restrictions, we've already Mm -hmm. lost the conversation.
0: Mm, That's good. Right.
1: If we right. view holiness as the presence of the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus fully alive and fully awake in both men and in women mm-hmm. in the church and that flourishing mm-hmm. is found in the togetherness of the two in the mutuality yes. of coming together, man mm-hmm. and woman, which is a lot of what he's saying, which I'm getting ready to drop down into first Corinthians 11, but I just okay. want to set the stage because the kinds of questions you ask are going to lend to certain answers that's good that's good And so what i have a passion for is to change some of the questions that we're asking around this and wherever you land on it we can live in Mm -hmm. harmony and in peace and in flourishing Mm -hmm. and in shalom the church has always been better as a bouquet of flowers rather than 12 red roses we're not all meant to be the same good you see what i'm saying and so Mm -hmm. it's not about you believe seeing it the way I see it, but let's just have good, alive, robust conversations mm-hmm. that, that, that come out of this spirit of flourishing mm-hmm. and that's not anemic and restrictive. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that's those great lenses on, right. Damn. If we're going to mm-hmm. view holiness as the presence of something, because Jewish mm-hmm. Paul, Mm -hmm. Very much sees holiness as the presence of something, not the absence of something. Mm -hmm. So now we come to all that that you just read in first Corinthians 11. So now you're Mm -hmm. starting to understand why I started where I started. First Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth, Corinth. Mm-hmm. where their patron deity is Aphrodite. I take teams to Corinth. You can look up on the Acropolis Hill. You can still see the ancient ruins of the temple to Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. She is lit at night. She, her house is the pinnacle of their city. She's the one that provides the sun and the rain and opens your womb. And Leanne, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about how one worships Aphrodite. We can well imagine what goes down. <laughs> At the temple right. of Aphrodite. a lot of birds right. and the bees right like absolutely you know, a lot's <laughs> going on so you have temple prostitutes both male and female you have a very sexualized culture because mm-hmm. of their patron deity who they believe is the one protecting the city
0: mm-hmm. providing
1: the sun and the rain and her house is above all yeah So Paul is going to come to Corinth and it is into that world that he is writing and that he is speaking. So if you are a woman in Corinth, you are Gentile. You've never heard of Jesus, Moses, Abraham, Torah, this monotheistic God, this Jewish rabbi of the Galilee that died for the sins of the world and raised three days later. Can you imagine, Leanne, being your age? I'm 48, so I'll, I'll I'll do it. Mm-hmm. being 48 years old, a Gentile in Corinth, think about everything I would have experienced by then. Oh, absolutely! yes. Think about my worldview, my sexual experiences. Right, um, right. I am a freeborn Roman woman. Mm-hmm. I am educated. Yeah. I am literate. I own a mm-hmm. business down on the, and all of a sudden, this Jewish dude named Paulos, mm-hmm. who we call Paul, comes to mm-hmm. my city and I'm like listening to him because I like philosophy because uh-huh. I'm a freeborn Roman woman who's educated. Uh-huh. And I am compelled by this message of this Jewish savior. Uh-huh. And I am drawn by the grace of God. And uh-huh. I say yes to Jesus, like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I'm 48. Like their yeah. salvation is possible for me. And uh-huh. Paulos, we would call him Paul, invites uh-huh. me to this little house church to learn uh-huh. more. Okay, so Uh I'm excited. I've got the spirit of God in me. I'm a fresh believer. (laughs) I don't know a lick, right? Right. Because 48 years, I know Corinth. That is my culture. That is my world. So I come to this little house church and I'm a freeborn Roman woman and Aphrodite is my patron deity. So the idea of power being in femininity is something I well understand, right? I mean, my city worships a girl. That's right. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit down because I don't know the rituals and the practices of this Jewish faith that's now welcoming Gentiles. in, I'm going to come dressed a certain way. I'm not thinking about how I'm supposed to come in. I'm going to come with the latest hairstyle, right? Because I'm a freeborn woman. And mm-hmm. if I look over and see a woman with her head shaved, I know that she's a temple prostitute.
0: huh. Mm-hmm. You okay. can
1: recognize prostitutes in the Greco-Roman world by how they dress and their hair. Mm. So I'm kind of amazed mm-hmm. that like a temple prostitute is like here at this church gathering with her shaved right. head, but I've got my elaborate, like $250 hairstyle. Right. Because my business is doing great. Yeah. And somebody starts teaching. Well, I have a question. I'm just going to pipe up. Hey, wait a minute. What does that mean? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, wait, What? because that's Mm -hmm. my world. Mm -hmm. So what you have is Paul trying to usher in Gentile men and women into the faith Mm -hmm. with absolutely zero like understanding understanding of anything. So they're coming in raw. They are totally Gentilian. They are Corinthian. They are are Mm -hmm. products of Aphrodite down through decades in their lives. And so mm-hmm. Paul is like, okay, let's everybody calm down. And let me tell you how this goes here. Right. Okay. Like in the house of God, like th- this, yeah. is, this yeah. is how we are encouraging. This is how we go to church. Remember her church is Aphrodite.
0: Yeah. Right. Totally now different way. Of to
1: this church where they're singing hymns yeah. and taking right. communion and <laughs> <laughs> serving the poor and temple prostitutes are welcome and right. there's like a there's this thing called the scriptures that they read out of and they take care mm-hmm. of each other so you can imagine how disorienting this is. Mm-hmm. Now, when we go read First Corinthians eleven, let me tell you because we're going to define holiness as the presence of something, not the absence of something. Okay, Okay. so let's go back through it together. You read it first, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, if you're okay with me kind of taking this. Go Um, ahead. Uh huh. Let's go back to verse three. I'm reading out of the NIV. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of the woman is man, and that the head Of Christ is God. Let me just stop there because you have a question later, Leanne, and I'm going to go ahead and answer two for one. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Mm
0: -hmm. And I would
1: encourage you to write this down, and everything that I'm getting ready to say is easily researchable. If you Mm -hmm. are listening to us today, I encourage you with my whole soul to go do your own study into what I'm about to explain. So when Paul uses the word head, H-E-A-D. It is the Greek word kaphale. It's spelled different ways, but K-E-P-H-A-L-E. Let's just go with that. K-E-P-H-A-L-E. Kafale. And that's where we get this English word head. So the question becomes, what does kaphale in Greek mean? Now, while we're dropping into the Greek language, let's remember what ethnicity and origin Paul is of. He is not a Greek. He is a A Jewish man, right? He is a Jewish rabbi and Pharisee. He says it Mm -hmm. in Philippians chapter three. So Mm -hmm. we're getting the story written for us in the new Testament in Greek, but Paul is Jewish till the day he dies.
0: Mm -hmm. So I
1: raised that because kafele essentially has three meanings. When you go look up the etymology of that word, it can mean military head, like a general. It can mean like physical head, like my head, your head, or it can mean source or origin, now, the question becomes, how do Jewish people typically use the word "kafale"? Right. Do they use it as a military general? Do they use it as a physical head or do uh-huh. they use it as source or origin? And the answer is they typically use it to mean source or origin. Okay. So, for example, when they talk about the Nile River or the Sea of Galilee, the opening to it, they would call the source, the source mm-hmm. of or the origin, the mm-hmm. head of the river.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what I would contend, and this would apply, Leanne, to everywhere in the New Testament, Paul uses the word head. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is why I'm saying we're going to kill two birds with one stone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What is Paul saying here? Is he advocating for hierarchy or is he advocating for mutuality? Mm -hmm. And I would say he's advocating for mutuality, because if we change this out, let's take a look at what he's saying. And I'm going to do it with my hands so that you and our, our listeners can sort of see it. Mm -hmm. What I would contend that Paul is trying to cultivate in male-female relationships in the church is more of a family model than a hierarchy model where men and women are brothers and sisters in the faith with Jesus as the only begotten firstborn son and God as our father. He constantly uses terms, my brothers and my sisters. He's an mm-hmm. apostle mm-hmm. who is lowering himself. He is not speaking above them. He's using mm-hmm. lateral sibling language,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: I'm an only child. I don't have mm-hmm. siblings, but I know mm-hmm. you've got multiple children. Like right. your, your children know siblings and they are naturally right. related to one another in this Absolutely. world they have you and Tom as their parents and mm-hmm. they are siblings to each other right so if Paul is constantly if I'm right let's let's just go with elf mm-hmm. if, if I'm right let's just say you are yeah well, let's just <laughs> if, you know a robust conversation we don't all have to land <laughs> right. in the same place then what right. I literally think Paul is saying here is literally Christ is the source of Adam because where did Adam come from? right from god yeah and woman and man is the source of woman because where did eve originally come from right but i have a question Uh for you where did cain come from from eve from the yeah that's right so if we if we interpret head cafe as source uh-huh. Which I would contend that Paul means. Uh huh. Christ is the source of man, man is the source of woman, and woman is the source of man. Right. Mm-hmm. He's arguing circularly, mm-hmm. not vertically. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. about who's over who. Right. Right. And this is, I right. think, what he means. In verse 11, when he says in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman, right? It's this idea of mutuality. And so within this, now all of the bit about hairstyles, head coverings, and all of that kind of stuff, but all of that, I believe is meant to be read And this, how do we achieve this mutuality of relationship between male Mm -hmm. and female brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters in the family of God? Leanne, you know this, marriage is a metaphor for the bride of Christ and the living God, but marriage won't exist in heaven. Right. What's going to last is our sibling relationships with one another. Mm. You and Pastor Tom are gonna be siblings Mm. in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and you mm-hmm. are brother and sister in Christ now, sure. but also in the covenant of marriage with children and, and grandchildren. Right. But Paul is advocating for the everlasting relationship of male and female, which are siblings in the family of God. Right. Right. Not where we need to figure out who's over who. Right. So if okay. we're arguing in mutuality, now what mm-hmm. Paul begins to say. And this is what, let's go ahead and kill. Can we kill two more birds? Absolutely. With you just stone? keep killing those birds. <laughs> okay. Are we doing all right? Are we yes. full? Yes. Okay. Yes. So back to first Corinthians eleven four, And again, I'm reading in the NIV. Paul mm-hmm. writes this. Mm-hmm. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Before we get to head covers, okay, this is 1 Corinthians 11. We are talking about order and public worship, like in-house church worship. And Mm -hmm. Paul just talked about when women pray or prophesy in church. Mm, now mm -hmm. if he is saying when women pray or prophesy in church let's deal with the whole head thing Mm -hmm. he is assuming that Mm -hmm. women in churches are praying and prophesying out loud would you agree with
0: that yes and and then i would say I'm thinking you've already answered the question of the first Corinthians 14, where he's telling the women to be silent. That's all just the order of the chaos that could be happening. Well, and 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 we'll drop
1: down down into it because you're exactly right. What I was getting ready to say is one of the most problematic passages when it's extrapolated out of the greater story of the Bible is first Corinthians 14. Uh And it Uh talks about this prohibition of silence that Paul talks about. Mm -hmm. But if you really go read it, Mm -hmm. Because clearly Paul is not a schizophrenic. We don't believe Mm -hmm. that. Right. Mm And an an apostle full of the Holy spirit, a master of the scriptures. He's a Pharisee. Right. Right. But there's dissonance here because how can women be silent in church if they're praying and prophesying? Right. Right. (laughs) That's right. They can't. Right. (laughs) So so sometimes we let one scripture sort of give understanding to another. And Leanne uh-huh. in 1 Corinthians 14, what Paul is saying is it's not women are to be silent. He goes on to say, "If you have a question, right, ask it to your husband when you get home." Right. He does say that. Uh-huh. Now we're starting to understand, because we've done some historical context and backdrop. Uh-huh. We're in Corinth. Uh-huh. with these uh-huh. Freeborn, highly literate. Mm-hmm. Greco-Roman women who mm-hmm. have accepted Jesus and know nothing, they are coming to house church and they're interrupting because they okay. live in a world of feminine power. Mm-hmm. So somebody says something and they're like, oh, 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 wait, what is that? And all Paul is saying, so back to holiness being the presence of something, not the absence. Let's notice all of the things that Paul does not say in First Corinthians 14. He does not say, I want women for all time, everywhere to be silent and never to speak in church. That is not Mm -hmm. what the text says. Mm -mm. What it specifically is addressing are the questions women are asking. Mm -hmm. I want you to ask your questions at home. You are praying and prophesying in church. And I do not Mm -hmm. even have time to unpack for you, Leanne. Maybe Mm -hmm. we can do a, a version two of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) But in the first century church, prophecy was held as a higher authority than teaching. Ah, okay. So we get all discombobulated about can a woman teach, well, they teach. and they are prophesying in the first, <laughs> right?
0: And right. so again,
1: we could, we could drop down. That's, yes. that's a whole other thing. But you think about that prophecy given by the prophet in the old Testament in the last days, God's going to pour out a mm-hmm. spirit on men and, and women. women and they're right. going to dream dreams and they are going to prophesy.
0: Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm.
1: can't have a Corinthian church with women praying and prophesying and being silenced for all time. At
0: the same time. That's right. It doesn't make
1: sense. And Mm -hmm. first Corinthians 14 ends Mm -hmm. with Paul saying, my brothers and sisters, again, it's that lateral language. Mm -hmm. He's trying to set up the family of God with all of us under Jesus as the only begotten firstborn and God is Mm -hmm. our father. He says, mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> he wants mm-hmm. men and women prophesying because the word of the Lord is powerful for transformation to inform yeah. us about who the living God is, what it's yeah. like, what it's going to mean to follow him. That's
0: and amazing. I would
1: say, and I don't, and, and hear me right here. I don't want to diminish, but we've given a lot of context around anything that Paul is writing in 1st or 2nd Corinthians. Right. That all Paul is trying to do in 1st Corinthians 11 with the whole whose head is covered, whose head is uncovered, is how to train Gentile men and women, starting at a place of zero, what it looks like, to be the family of God and to both fully participate in the local worship of the church.
0: That's good. That's good. So with that, um, and I'm going to jump on ahead too, because I feel like there's no need to take every single passage and, and unpack it. But, um, with that said, what does that, how does that then translate to the modern day church mm-hmm. and our culture today? Now we see, I know that our listeners are probably like me hearing this, in the, in the beautiful way that you present it. And we're seeing ourselves a lot in that Greco-Roman yeah. world. Like we are much more like that than we are the Jewish um. You know, family, I think. So mm-hmm. but with this family mindset, this sibling relationship, mm-hmm. what would that look like in a in a modern day church um, mm-hmm. church setting? Yeah, and where are we? Question. Maybe it's a combined question. Where are we? Um, putting the too much emphasis on the wrong things. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: It's a beautiful question. And I'll start by saying I am a person who respects denominational life. I really believe the church is her best when she is a vibrant, Multicolored bouquet of flowers. Like, Uh I love a bouquet of flowers the yellows, Mm -hmm. the purples, the blues, Mm -hmm. the reds, the greens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what denominal life, denominational life is offering the world, all Mm -hmm. unified together under Mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus. We are this multi denominational embodiment. Of yes. What we read to believe the to be the fullness of the scriptures, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. So I I begin there, okay. Because I think whatever denomination you're in, mm-hmm. a lead out question, and again, we're gonna define holiness as the presence of something, not the absence okay. of something. Okay. Right. The lead out question is within my denominational life, what does it look like for me to be a fully alive, fully awake sister Mm -hmm. in the Lord Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. everyone that I interact with in the family of God that I know? I love
0: that. Right.
1: And I I love that that all the time. I think way. about that all the time, like how do, how can I show up and be the best, you know, I'm an only child, right? So I always I had that. siblings growing up, then I've got saved <laughs> okay. and now I've got, I've got siblings like all over the world that speak yes. different languages of tribes and tongues. So this uh-huh. big family of God and it's just like, Leanne, like if I were to come to your house for Thanksgiving, if you're like, uh-huh, Christy, yeah. you're welcome, come come do Thanksgiving yeah. with my family. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to be aware of the fact that you're bringing me into your family Thanksgiving rhythm. Mm. them. So I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. Leanne, what can I bring? Oh, can mm-hmm. you bring the rolls? I've got you. And then when I get to your house, I'm going to start trying to find my way within your family. Yes. Oh, the adults all sit here. Uh, Oh, Leanne wants me to sit here. I'm going to be like, Leanne, can I help you? You're like, yeah, could you go pour the tea? Yeah, Yeah. I got that. It's me receiving the invitation that you've given me to come be part of your family. And I'm trying to come into it and learn your rhythms, learn your ways, see what I can do to contribute. um, Mm -hmm. What do I have to add to this beautiful shalom of family? Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's the way we're meant to approach church. I love that. I love and, that. And I would even just go on to say, um, when it, specifically when it comes to women in the local church, You know, I, my ministry is multi-denominational and it's international. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. am in churches where it's called a sacrament. I am in churches where it's called a baptism. I mean, a a communion. I'm in churches where baptism, you get sprinkled and I'm in churches Mm -hmm. where you get dumped all the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My ministry takes me into very different streams and tributaries. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm saying I think that what we really are being invited to do is within your denominational family, what does it look like for you to show up and be the best sister that you can be? And I'll say this Leanne, and this may be an edited out, so you can let me know, but I am fully okay. I I really am, like, I feel so peaceful saying this. Mm -hmm. I am fully okay for that woman, that that goes to a church and believes that women cannot teach should not teach whatever I am equally okay with that woman that within her denominational framework she teaches Mm -hmm. um in a co-ed setting Mm -hmm. and I get it the two look very different but at Mm -hmm. the end of the day I just believe that the peace of Christ is found locally within a real community i don't need to know what somebody in albuquerque thinks about women in ministry right i want to know what franklin tennessee thinks about women in ministry because these are the people who are my brothers and sisters in the faith right 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 Yes. So, you know, I think sometimes we, the rat gets on the wheel in this issue and we're trying to come to the right interpretation of scripture, this once for all, for all time, for any Mm -hmm. follower of Jesus, whether you're in Bangkok or Delhi or Franklin. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say is all rhythms practices liturgy is diverse among denominations. Why wouldn't the issue of women in ministry be diverse as well?
0: That's right. That's right.
1: You and you know what I'm, what I'm saying?
0: Think? Absolutely. And I'm thinking as we're talking in our own practice as women who have spoken in churches for many years. Yes. And I recognize and I love how you're saying this because When I go into a church, if they have asked me to even speak on a Sunday morning, I don't need to stand up in front of the people apologizing for being a woman standing in front of them because they've invited me to come and do that. So I come and I stand in front of this group of women just as I would on a Friday night at another place where it's an all-women group because I'm stepping into their culture and doing what they have um, invited me to do. And therefore, I'm not making it about... Uh, gender I'm not making it about whether I'm a woman with the mouth or or not and just embrace what opportunities there are all you're doing yeah all you're doing is
1: they've invited you into their family and you're trying to figure out if you need to bring the roles and if you need to go pour the tea
0: that's right and that's such a great illustration for for how to see that now let me ask you though something that's even a little harder is um maybe maybe not hard to you then what do you do with, um, the modern day accusation against Christianity mm-hmm. that our patriarchal, um, you know, uh, heritage has d- diminished and discriminated against women historically through yeah. the years. And we must give an account for that. So what do yeah. you do with that? With well, that man, yeah,
1: this one's not hard for me at all, actually. Okay. But again, uh, the, you asked me, so here we go. Yeah. I think that we need to confess the reality of that and Uh repent of it to be totally honest. That's Um, so good. Something that floors me, and and I really mean it, and and I actually could start crying talking about this, Mm. but um, it floors me that we have essentially taken two verses by the Apostle Paul, ignored Mm -hmm. everything else that he wrote much Mm -hmm. less the embodied witness of Jesus, much less the embodied witness of Israel throughout time, including the old Testament Mm -hmm. and have shaped a theology of women where holiness is emaciated, restrictive and dry. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would honestly say we need to confess of it and repent. And, Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's like, we're trying to do better.
0: Yes. I mean, I feel like
1: that's so much of my calling It's just to try to do better. Um, You know, my parents grew up certainly in a world where the life that I am living is a female Mm -hmm. Bible teacher, one being a master's educated, Middle Eastern educated Bible professor at a college Mm
0: -hmm. who
1: does teach on Sunday mornings at churches Mm -hmm. around the country in various Mm -hmm. denominations um, and teach locally here around the city. Mm-hmm. They would have never even envisioned that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been mm-hmm. faith stretching for my mom, who is still alive. I lost my father when I was 21. Mm-hmm. But to continue to answer your question, the patriarchy question is for us to also show up and say, and this is back to that sibling, that lateral, mm-hmm. that family of God is essentially we are trying to be people of the kingdom Mm -hmm. living in a world of empire okay and empire defines everything in verticality who's on top is it the pharaoh of egypt is it cyrus of persia is it xerxes Mm -hmm. is it alexander the great is Mm -hmm. it you know the caesars Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. when it was Jesus, what does Philippians 2 say he did? He emptied himself Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. became nothing. Mm -hmm. So the world is oriented all about who's above you, who's below you. Here Mm -hmm. comes the kingdom of God and the family of God. And Uh we're like, no, I don't have to take from you. I don't have to take, I don't have to be jealous of you and judge you. I don't have to be jealous because you have more and judge you because you have less because we're on some ladder. No, we all come to the table together, sinners saved by grace. Yes. And it's, this is our starting point. And I think the more we can teach the family of god the the ways of the kingdom in a world of empire where we're not even trying to answer the question who's over who but Mm -hmm. who is meaningfully beside who Mm -hmm. who is meaningfully beside you that brother Mm -hmm. in christ that sister in christ that together fully alive and fully awake we can see the flourishing of our cities we can Mm -hmm. see heaven come down to earth. We can Mm -hmm. live in harmony and shalom and Mm -hmm. unity as siblings in the family of God. And Mm -hmm. I believe that that speaks to that condemnation that the church receives. When we get told your book is antiquated, the Bible is hard on women. I'm like, you Mm -hmm. have not read it. You do not know what you're talking about. Right. And so we stand up as an embodied witness of the church and our generations. And we say, no, 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 welcome to the kingdom. There's a seat at this table for you. You can come as you are. We all came as we are. You're sideways, upside down, all the things. You're going to change in proximity to Jesus. Yes, right. We all are changing in proximity to Jesus. And so I think to that watching world that judges us, on the patriarchy, your heart on women, I'm Mm -hmm. always like, come spend time with me and see if I feel like a subdued, overcome human being to you.
0: Right. Good. that's good. See what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Because to know me is to know, man, I I view holiness as the presence of something. Right. Right. I'm trying to be more fully alive and more fully awake so that I can be the best sister I can be that's good
0: that's good yeah what would your advice be to a woman who may be trying to serve in a place Mm -hmm. where the people around her don't understand this mutuality kind of um, Mm -hmm. atmosphere what would be your advice to her yeah um
1: you know i think the holy spirit leads and guides us into all truth right that's what the bible says and so i get asked this question often And it's a tender question, because usually when I'm asked it, it's asked from a place of pain. Um, Right. And I always tell my apologetic students, you have to remember behind every question is a questioner.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And and when they ask you a question, they are revealing something that is hurting their heart, right? Um, I think our truest questions come out of a place of pain, not pleasure. Yes. Um, so I really say this tenderly to that woman that may be joining us today on the podcast. And that's what you're feeling. You're hearing all of this and you're thinking, man, I'm I'm in a context where, you know, I would really like to try some of these things. I don't really feel Mm -hmm. the freedom to, and I would say, first of all, thank you for staying in it with your church. Mm -hmm. Thank you for continuing to come to the table. We're trying to figure out what it looks like for you to be fully alive and fully awake there. I think learning is a really important characteristic of spiritual maturity. So what I mean by that, Leanne, is, mm-hmm. and I'll just say it because we're good friends. I'm going to pretend yeah. like it's just you and me right now. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't trust people who aren't open to learning. Yeah, that's good. If if you've already got it all figured out and you have cultivated mastery of the Bible from Genesis to revelation, I don't trust you. That's right. And so I would look for open, teachable learning spirits in your faith community that you can have these conversations with in safety, Mm -hmm. that you can be vulnerable and come with an openness and a curiosity, which I think should be our posture when we approach the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the scriptures are greater than us they're going to always be they're the breath mm-hmm. of God written down so mm-hmm. they're just going to always be greater than us we're going to always mm-hmm. be amazed by them
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you know be open and curious be a learner mm-hmm. um, you know study and find safe people and then I think over time if you feel like you know you can approach the leadership at your church and say hey I have a heart to lead a small group in my home that's I don't know, whatever it might look like, the things Mm -hmm. that God puts on your heart, just to put it out there. You know, I'm not on staff at a church now, but I served on staff at a church for 17 years. And Leanne, Mm -hmm. you can weigh in on this because like all of your years with Pastor Mm -hmm. Tom at TSC, Mm -hmm. but I used to love it when when the body would come to me with ideas ideas. It's like, hey, Christy, I've been reading this book and I've been praying and like talking to my friends and we want to go do this thing like that
0: encouraged
1: me because it's like they are activated in their faith and they have ideas. And would they sometimes bring things that I couldn't endorse? Yes. And that's where we just have to be that gentle shepherd
0: right and be like
1: oh my gosh I so love your heart mm-hmm. uh-huh. I don't know that we can do that but let's uh-huh. get creative together and let's see what we can do right right you know yeah and so that's what I would just gently and humbly say to, yeah. to any woman out there that's feeling that is one I hear and feel your pain yes two so does the living God yes There's compassion there stay open and curious be a learner Mm -hmm. find Mm -hmm. other open and curious and safe places to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. see what that see what that vigor brings Mm -hmm. up in you and Mm -hmm. the holy spirit lets us know you know he'll start prompting on you hey you should go have this conversation and Mm -hmm. to be totally honest and i mean we're just talking a very general frameworks here but you may come to Mm -hmm. a, a point where it's time for you to leave that local church sure. and go embed uh-huh. yourself
0: somewhere, somewhere else. else. Um, right. I'm
1: not at the church where I served for 17 years. Yeah. You know, I've mm-hmm. experienced a church change and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think we need to leave a place well. I think mm-hmm. we need to enter a place well. And I think mm-hmm. we need to be at a place well. That's I think we're looking at congregational life. It's did I come in correct? yeah Am I trying to be the best sister in Christ that I can be while I'm here? And if I feel the Lord leading me to move on, can I leave? Well, open, honest, transparent, direct, Mm -hmm. kind, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, you know, everybody's not wondering what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's that embodied witness that I think speaks to the world.
0: Yes, absolutely. Living out this family thing for real. Yeah, right. Right. And yeah. I, I do believe that the more um, that we are able to teach the truth in love, and share the truth in love. And I love so many things you've said. One is that um, so much of even the, and I'm thinking of those that are challenging Christianity as a whole, Mm -hmm. is the impetus of that is some kind of pain at the root of it. And if we can invite the Lord to sensitize us to what that is and speak to that, that's what Jesus did. He spoke to the pain. And then he was able to get to the heart of, the heart of the matter but um this has been great we didn't deep dive in all those passages because I didn't feel like we needed to I feel like the way that you presented you know the foundation and where we come from Paul it would have just been a matter of repeating the same thing in that because same thing um, in Ephesus same thing in Titus
1: where is Titus serving he's serving in Ephesus yeah So so
0: that's the same situation. I love, and and that was a real, for me, um, I just hadn't thought deeply about it, but that whole idea of goddess worship really translates well to kind of the culture that we're, that we're in today. Of course, we're not really, we're worshiping ourselves more than anything else in the culture Mm
1: -hmm. minus
0: Jesus today. And so that's the thing, but I do want to wrap up by sharing one thing. And I think that um, Christy, you exemplify this so beautifully too, but as a woman called, um, into vocational ministry, um, and given gifts that might traditionally look more like, um, in our denominational, uh, context, what a man would have <laughs> the teaching and the prophesying and the, you know, me, I lead a prayer ministry. That's yeah. not just for women. That's and right. I challenge the men to often, I say, you know, prayer is the front line. Battle ministry of the church. Are you going to send all the women to the front line while you sit back here and do other things? So, you know, it's definitely a a co ed ministry as well. But I just want to say this as a word of testimony. Never in all of my years of ministry, 35, Plus, have I um, not been able to exercise the gifts God has given me? And and I'm in a denomination that has some very narrow parameters around sometimes what women ought to and ought not do. And have always lived in that. Was born into this. And I love your healthy view of denominational differences. And I can appreciate um, all of the good in and what has happened in the one that I'm a part of. And I also love that God is not limited and he's not going to hold you hostage to your denomination, for instance. And I think the same conversation we just had about a church, if you feel like your denomination is stifling you or it's stopping, God's going to give you discernment and, and show you where to go to exercise. But that's just my own personal, um, Mm -hmm testimony is that he's always given me a place to to serve always allowed me to um, have the the outlets for the exercise of the gifts and I totally believe that that's a part of our faith walk as we go and just you know giving our holding it up be like Mary you know just hold our hands open wide and say be it done to me as you have said and let him Figure out the best way to do it and I love I also want to say this because you are um, you're growing in popularity and in um, in reach you know the Lord has expanded your tent pegs and I've just been watching you and just applauding in my little down the road way because I know you you know we all love our hometown hero but mm-hmm. I also I guess I want to say this for women that may be looking at Christy and thinking I want to be her that's not the way the kingdom works at all you see I I think that we all I love your table um, illustration. We all have our place at the table and every place is so precious and so significant. And every ministry, whether it's to the masses or to the, the, the few is so significant and important. And you may even be a mother who's at home rearing your children. How precious is that opportunity? And that's something I struggled with as a young woman. I was ambitious. I wanted to be like, you know, um, I, well thank you Lord I can't even remember the names now but you know the big names that were big then and um, it's just not that's wasted energy <laughs> because yeah. it's not at all where the kingdom work is and yeah. so I just wanted to say that too to encourage people as well that's right though so. absolutely but thank you thank you Christy Man, thank any you for having other- me Oh my goodness. It was a a wonderful, I feel like I I should have paid, paid money. (laughs) And I forgot I was hosting the podcast. You should see I was sitting over here taking notes. Love it, man. This is is fun. This
1: (laughs) This is fun. This is our lives, right? It's like for those of us talking and those of you joining us, thank you for joining in. And we do pray the peace of Christ upon your
0: hearts in in every way. truly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Christy. We will, we will try to do this again sometime with For our sure. people and talk about something else really controversial. That'll be Let's fun. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's have some fun. <laughs> yes, we will. We will. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Let's see. I knew you were going to love Christy. I'm telling you, I was enjoying so much the depth of her wisdom that I totally forgot we were doing a podcast and I had pulled my paper out and I was just taking notes right along with everybody else. I felt like I was getting to sit at her feet and, um, and feast from the wealth of her knowledge, just like the disciples might've sat at Jesus's feet and just feasted from the depth of his knowledge. I love that she is trained. I love that she studies. I love that she digs deep. I love that she has connected, um, our understanding of scripture linguistically and culturally. She truly is a biblical culturalist. So um if you did enjoy this conversation I hope that you'll share it with your friends. I'm telling you guys that we cannot speak the truth loud enough, often enough in our culture today. And so let's be women who are courageous enough to speak the truth as often as we can so that others can know the truth because you know what the scripture says, the truth will set you free. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed this uh, series of podcasts, and if you're just now catching up with us, go back and listen to some of the others. We have had such incredible conversations with many different women, some that are Bible teachers, some that are pastor's wives, some that are um, influencers, just all kinds of different women from different places and all of them. Just beautiful people that I've had the privilege of rubbing elbows with so we're going to wrap up our series on the truth about women this next week and that's when I'll circle back around and Bobby and Allen will be with us again. She was with us in the very beginning in our introductory episode and she's going to be with me as we conclude this series. I um, also want to remind you as you're moving into the fall season in your churches, especially if you are the prayer leader in your church. If you're not the prayer leader in your church, please share our prayer clinic podcast with whomever is that person because we are wanting to use this platform to encourage those who lead the prayer ministries in our local churches. But I want to tell you specifically, and if you're women's ministry leaders as well, that I have a four-week course on prayer. It's a four-session course on prayer. can easily be taught in a one-hour or one-and-a-half-hour setting. It's video-driven, and the name of it is Teach My Heart to Pray. Our goal at our church is that every person in the congregation will have the opportunity to participate in this course so that they can have a rock-solid foundation for their prayer lives and teach my heart to pray. I teach you what prayer is. I teach you how God responds to our prayers. I teach you what the barriers to prayer are. And then we wrap it up in our fourth session with learning how to pray through to a breakthrough. I genuinely believe that prayer is the single most important thing that we can be doing as a congregation and so if your church is praying then you're seeing the powerful supernatural work of god in your midst if you're not seeing the powerful supernatural work of god in your midst then i would dare say there's opportunity for your church to be praying more And I hope that um, you will share this podcast, that you'll share our website, prayerclinic.com. And you'll also share um, this study, Teach My Heart to Pray, with those who lead the prayer ministry in your church, if that's not you. So all of that to say, it's been good to be with you this week. What a tremendous time we had with Christy. I look forward to seeing you soon as we wrap up our study on the truth about women. In between now and then, keep on praying, my praying people. We'll be right back. back.